If you're the only one in your book club who wants to read books that will change your life, you need a new book club. And we think you found it. I'm Heather. And I'm Susan. And can we be the first to say, welcome Welcome to to the the club. club. Well, we are getting into the good stuff. The Abrahamic Covenant and the Mistaken Conception. Yeah, it really sounds, it sounds really good and then really naughty. Well, it is <laughs> naughty and there's a lot of naughtiest going on in the Bible, but uh, that's yes. the best part about the Bible is that you don't have to be perfect coming from the perfect number one, Enneagram one for those of you Enneagram fans And that would be there. you, not me. That would be me, not <laughs> Susan. I'm the perfect, but you don't have to be perfect. And that is absolutely proven by almost every story in the Bible. And so last episode, we were talking about some early Bible foreshadowing my personal Bible bender, Melchizedek, the priest, who is actually a picture of Christ. And he shows up in the Old Testament and the New Testament. And And you actually said that name right. So kudos to you. Well, I've heard you say it for probably a year now. It took me a year, but now (laughs) I'm pronouncing it correctly. Thank you very much. And that's the only thing that I can not be perfect on is pronunciation of names. But the other thing that we had in chapter 14, which was last episode, was the promise from chapter 12. It was fulfilled and Abraham has become a great nation. Abraham has become a great name. However, his descendants are still none. Zero. Zero. And that is another theme that runs throughout the Bible. There is a promise and God's given you a promise. And what are you going to do with that promise? Are you going to believe God and his promise because he keeps his promises? Spoiler alert. Or are you going to go on your own accord and think that you got this and you're going to figure this out? Also, spoiler alert, it'll go much better if you trust God because he keeps his promises. And possibly faster, we're going to find out because this promise is not going to happen for a little while longer. So before we get to that, I do want to point out as part of the intro this week that remember Abraham's journey is this roller coaster of trust and doubt. He has great moments where he is at the top of the roller coaster and he trusts God and does these hard things for the Lord. And then he has these really foolish moments where he either doubts or he just doesn't even think or pray and he makes his own choices and he ends up like in a in a deep dive to the bottom. And isn't that so, really what all of us have? We all have to, these moments yeah. of trust and doubt and roller coasters with God and we're just figuring this thing out and we're not all perfect. Right. The great thing is with Abraham, we get to clearly see them as a lesson to us to kind of take a look at it in our own lives. So we've seen so far, he was super on the upward take when he trusted God and answered this call to leave his family and journey out into the unknown for this calling that God called him to. So dear listeners, as you listen to what Susan is going to bring out in this episode, think through that. Where in your life do you need to trust and not doubt? Absolutely. Then he took a downward spiral when he doubted God's provision in the famine and he went to Egypt and lied to his wife. Then up again, he trusted God. Remember, he returned to Shechem and he then was given this opportunity to defeat four kings, which he did flawlessly. Today, we're going to have examples of both the up and the down. Abraham's faith journey 
takes um, us to the top, followed by a disappointing drop up. He is going to be blessed with this covenant from God and in a new way. And then down, he's going to doubt God and he's going to try to have this child that's been promised his own way. And there will be and that's a serious downer for a long time. Yeah, long. We're still suffering from those repercussions yep. today. So here first, let's talk about the upper, this Abrahamic covenant. And chapter 15 is where we're going to start. Chapter 15. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. All right. So right there, I just want everyone to love this verse. Like I love it. I chose it for our verse for the week. If you've been following us on Instagram, you can see we post a verse every week with an image that you can share. And I love this one because it applies to us today. Um, To Abraham, God is saying that the battle you just won by defeating these four kings is just the beginning of the battles you're going to have. But don't be afraid. I am all that you need. And again, this was the first battle that Abraham, you can imagine after coming out of the battle, he's like, darn, we lost some people. This is awful. I'm not a warrior. Why am I doing this? But God's saying, don't worry. Don't be afraid of the future battles. I got this. Also, for the first time in the Bible, um, this, this saying comes from the word of the Lord came to. And again, that that is a phrase we're going to hear a lot in the Bible. But I think it's super cool that this phrase, the word of the Lord came to Abraham. It, it was the word of the Lord that addressed fear. And I think that's because God knows as people, this is something we all struggle with fear. Maybe we don't fight battles like Abraham did where our life is at risk. Although many people do, we have a military, we have people throughout the world who are really facing deathly situations every day, but we fight fear in a million different ways that comes from the enemy because he knows how he can make us afraid. And so whether it's fear for our children, whether it's fear for our health, whether it's fear for our jobs, um, we do struggle with this. And I, I feel like God really wanted us to, to know that do not be afraid, Heather, do not be afraid, Susan, I am your shield, your very great reward. And whatever I've called you into this life, I'm going to, I'm going to carry you through it. I'm going to protect you through it. You're going to, you're going to go, go through it. Well, um, so insert your name into that and print that verse, put it on, put it on your fridge and cling to it. I love that. Insert your name. Do not be afraid, Susan. Do not be afraid, Heather. I love putting that on somewhere for you to see every single day. And with moms, you know, I've talked about this a lot in the past on my blog when I used to blog a lot, that fear is something that can cripple us. And and that's because fear instinctually leads us to worry. Worry leads to anxiety. Anxiety leads to panic. And panic can paralyze. Once you go into panic, you are no good to the Lord. You are no good to your family. And that's that, you know, the enemy loves that. He delights in that. And, and fear when you're paralyzed will pull you away from God's call for your life. You just can't be of service to him when you're in a full state of panic. Um, the antithesis to fear is to trust because trust leads to faith. It builds our faith and faith gives you the courage to pursue God's call for your life. So just think about that a little aside for the day, but I love it that one of the first things God says, the word of the Lord came to Abraham was about fear. And I love that he must've known in Abraham's heart that he was being fearful. After I'm just, just going to keep saying this because this is a message for somebody out there. Are you going to trust or are you going to doubt? 
Do not be afraid. He is your shield, your great, very great reward. Yes, yes. All right, continuing on on. in verse two. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliza of Damascus? And Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. I love this statement from Abraham because I kind of feel like it's a little bit of an Eeyore statement, you know, I lost he's, he's my got tail. that, woe is me, There's yeah, no but, you know, looking for it. I won't find it anyway. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. It's like, no matter what great things God just did in Abraham's life, hello, you just defeated four kings single-handedly. You're still thinking, yeah, but I still have no heir. This, my servant is going to inherit. No, your servant's not going to inherit. He's he's just basking in the glow of miraculous sto- victory, but he's not trusting God. And I think we do that too. We we're, we tend to be glass half empty people. No matter go- great thing is happening, we're still like, but yeah, but God, I don't have this or I haven't done that. And, and I don't know if that's overachiever in us. Maybe Abraham was overachiever. He's always achieving, but forever focused on the next goal, or perhaps he's a perfectionist and he's just never satisfied. I don't know, but are you one of these? Are, are, do you tend to have an Eeyore statement? Um, and think about that. Well, God hears and sweet God reassures Abraham in this next statement. Verse four, then the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and said, look up at the sky and count the stars. If indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. All right. Just like I love this great picture of Abraham, the Eeyore, because we can always be, we can all be an Eeyore. And so we relate to that. I love this sweet picture of God. He doesn't chastise him. Oh, come on. Like really, Abraham? <laughs> he, yeah, because he cares and he hears. Abraham challenged him too. Abraham was like, oh, yeah, oh, what did. are you going to do for me now? And, yeah. and <laughs> if I was God, I'd be like, uh, dude, let me tell you something. But instead, <laughs> you're right. It's so sweet what he does. It's sweet. And he gives Abraham this reassuring word picture that he knew would stick with Abraham. Because remember, Abraham is a shepherd. And that meant every night he and his men were out tending flocks and watching over the sheep. And he knew that as they traveled through the areas, because they were nomads, they traveled a lot, that they would always see the stars at night and be reminded of how immeasurable the stars were. And then he'd know every time he looked at them, God. The Lord told me my descendants are going to be more than all those stars. And I could just picture him sometimes laying in the grass, looking up at the stars and being comforted that it's going to happen. God said it's going to happen. So sweet. The Lord is sweet. I think we just need to look more for that reassurance from him. And it is in the word of God that we find that reassurance. That's true. Um, That's how you hear from God. You get into mm -hmm. the word. And if you're not in the word, you probably won't hear from him very often. No, no. This is also, I want to point out the prophecy of two seeds continued. Remember in Genesis 3, 7, God prophesied that one day the head of the seed of the serpent would be destroyed by the seed of the woman. 
the seed of the woman ultimately points to Jesus Christ. He's going to be that seed that comes from man, the woman, and ultimately defeats the serpent. Then in Genesis 15, God adds to what we know about the promised saving seed. He tells us the Savior will come from Abraham, specifically his line. All of God's future blessings are wrapped around that great promise of Abraham's offspring or the seed through whom all nations would be blessed. So he's unwrapping for us more specifically how this is going to happen. Unfortunately here, God did not hear say specifically to Abraham that it would be from Sarah. He just said, a son who is of your flesh and blood will be the heir. Now, this opened the door to the next slip in the next chapter that we're going to talk about that could have been avoided if God had just added one other little word in that verse. If he had said, but a son who is your yours and Sarah's own flesh and blood. But he didn't. That okay. was a spoiler so, alert from Susan. Dun, spoiler dun, dun, alert. Dun. Yeah. All right. Carrying on verse six. Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. Okay. Yay. Trust kicks in. Are you going to doubt? Are you going to trust? Uh, yeah. And God who can read our hearts. Now, remember what we're hearing here. Abram believed the Lord and he credited to him as righteousness. God sees our heart. And we know that from other verses. God saw the heart of David. He sees your heart. He sees my heart. He knows when we really trust. And he knew at this point that Abraham believed him. He also yeah. said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it. But Abram said, sovereign Lord, how can I? I know that I will gain possession of it. Back to a little bit of doubt. Are you going to trust? Are you going to (laughs) doubt? I do think possibly this is Abram, like that child who wants to know why, you know, when your kids go through that phase, why? Oh, it drives me crazy. I just (laughs) used to say, well, why do you think? So poor Abram's been living in this world of, I want you to leave your family. Okay. Where am I going? I'm not going to tell you about that. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And so now he's just learning. I think as he gets more comfortable with God to really ask more specific questions, like, how am I going to (laughs) know? It's okay. It's clearly okay that he, that we question God sometimes. And he reassures Abraham again in another visual, he's going to give Abraham this covenant. Now, before I dig into this covenant, this visual that he gives Abraham, I want to remind you of these four covenants in the Old Testament really quick. They all promise a partnership between God and people. God makes promises and asks people to fulfill certain commands. Okay, and Remember some, of we, these, some of these we've already learned and some we haven't learned, right? Right, right. The first one was with Noah in chapters eight and nine. Now we have the second one with Abraham. There is going to be one with the Israelites in Exodus and then the fourth one with David in Second Samuel. These are the four Old Testament covenants and they are all broken, which is why the prophets talked about a day when God would create a new covenant, one that would restore their relationship with God. And this new covenant was fulfilled by Jesus. Jesus fulfills all the broken covenants because for Abraham, he is a descendant of Abraham. So he fills that promise. He is a faithful Israelite who can truly obey the law. 
He is the king from the line of David, and he provides the way for all people to be a part of the new covenant with God through his death on the cross. So Jesus is the fulfillment of all the covenants that the Israelites could not keep in the Old Testament. So this is the second of the four covenants. Continuing on in verse nine. So. The Lord said to him, bring me a heifer, a goat and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Abram brought all these to him, cut them in two and arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. The birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. As the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep. And a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Then the Lord said to him, Know for certain that for 400 years your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and that they will be enslaved and mistreated there. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterward they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your ancestors in peace and be buried at a good old age." In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here, for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking firepot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said to your descendants, I give this land from Wadi of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, Kezanites, Kadamanites, Hittites, Perizzites, Rephaites, Amorites, Canaanites, Girishites, and Jebusites. Okay, so a lot going on in here. A lot of stuff we don't understand, like fire pots and all this other stuff. I could spend hours here. However, I, I want you to remember, God asked them this question. How will I know for sure that we're going to take over this land? How will I know? And Abraham, and, Abraham asked God that question. Oh, yes. Abraham asked God that question. And, and this was a sincere need for confirmation. He couldn't see how this was going to happen. He believed he just couldn't understand how. So God comforts him by giving him a vision of what would happen in a dream. Your people are going to become strangers. They're going to be enslaved for 400 years. They would be set free with wealth. Abraham would die in peace. His people would return and be overcome, overcome the Amorites. Um, But God would patiently wait for, for Amorites, giving them every opportunity to change just as he did with the people in Noah's time and wood for Sodom. So that's the vision. He, he gives to Abraham in answer to his question. Now, the symbolism in the covenant, I want to talk about briefly, because it is like weird to us today. We don't do this kind of thing anymore. So the word covenant means to hew or cut. And back in those days, this is how people made business agreements. Remember, there weren't attorneys and papers and documents that you filed with the government. It was more a symbolic ceremony between tribes or peoples that said, we have this deal like, and we'll get a taste of these in the future. Like, oh, can I build a well here on your land? Yes. And they have a little ceremony. And it was just a way for everyone to publicly witness this agreement. So God is using that. They divided the animals and the animals represented both parties. The contracting parties walked the path between the animals. This represented the two parties being made one. In this case, instead of two parties walking between the animals, only God passes between the animals, which tells us God is taking full responsibility for this covenant. He he's going to be the fulfillment of it. So he alone is responsible. Also, remember in the verse it talked about the smoking pot and the torch. It may this may symbolize 
that God was the smoking pot. Because remember, or if you've never read Exodus, know that in Exodus, when they move throughout the desert for 40 years, they follow this smoke that is a column that is God leading them through the desert. So similarly, God is the smoking pot and God is joined by this torch in this verse that we just read. The torch could symbolize Jesus, who is the lamp or light of the world. So this covenant being made by Abram may be represented here by both God and Jesus. Another way to look at the symbolism of this is that the smoke of destruction like was a premonition of Israel's misery in Egypt when they would follow the smoke and the light of salvation deliverance out of that darkness. So if you didn't understand that, just know that these are different ways that commentaries authors have interpreted these two very symbolic things, this smoking pot and this torch that may represent God and Jesus um, and kind of a premonition of what might come or an, also an, an example that's used again of the two of them. Just, I, I hope that makes sense. But just so you know, we could camp for hours on the symbolism in this covenant. Hey, that's I have weird overview. dreams too. We all have weird dreams sometimes. Yeah, poor Abraham. But he, it was comforting to him. So that's great. All right. The second part. So we talked about this upper, the covenant that God um, makes with Abraham because he truly believed. Now I want to talk about this mistaken conception our roller coaster ride going down. Chapter 16. Now, Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abram, The Lord has kept me from having children. Go, sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abram agreed to what Sarai said. So after Abram had been living in Canaan 10 years, Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian slave, Hagar, and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar and she conceived. This whole scene makes me crazy. I just want to say that. Why Why in the world would Abraham agree to this crazy plan? Why would Sarai do it? Well, okay. So, you know, the pressure of women to have children, I get that. And, you know, she's got all this pressure on her to build a family and understand back then if, if, if a couple didn't get pregnant, it was pretty much the wife's fault almost always. I mean, they just blamed the woman. I mean, and that went on, you know, into the, I think the 1800s, they would just assume it was the woman's problem that she was barren. So I get her pressure. I get that she was probably a drippy faucet to him trying to figure out a way out of this. But the fact that there was no seeking God, no hesitation, here we go again. Like when he went to Egypt without praying. And the fact that Hagar is from Egypt, looks Egyptian, sounds Egyptian. She's like a red blinking light. Stop screaming. No, you've been down this path before. Remember we talked about the path. She is Egyptian. Sarai acquired her in their time in Egypt when he was, she was living with the Pharaoh and, you know, acquired this maid and then took her with her. So are you going to trust or are you going to doubt? Because this is an example of doing things your way and thinking you can make it happen. Yeah. And, you know, that temptation pattern, I see it, I want it, I take it, and it causes destruction is a pattern we've seen before. Eve saw the fruit was good. She desired it and she took it. The Israelites, we're going to learn in the future, saw that Saul was tall and strong and they wanted him to be king and they made him king. David saw Bathsheba. He 
desired her and he took her. All of this points to the one who will break the pattern, Jesus, in the great temptation. In the great temptation in the desert, Jesus withstands the temptation of the enemy. So keep listening to Bible Book Club because someday yeah. we're going to teach <laughs> we'll you those books and they're awesome. <laughs> we're going to get through all of them. Sarah sees her servant. Sarah wants a baby and takes her to do what is good in her eyes. The destruction, the consequences, and the chaos that begins from that starts from day one of conception. When she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. Then Sarai said to Abram, you are responsible for the wrong I am suffering. I put my slave in your arms and now that she knows she is pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. Your slave is in your hands, Abram said. Do with her whatever you think best. Then Sarai mistreated Hagar, so she fled from her. All right, there is such a parallel here between Sarah and Eve. Not just that they're women, So I'm not throwing women under the bus, but let me just say, they both have this truth from God. Eve gets, do not eat from the tree or you will die. Sarah gets, clearly, you're going to have a son. Then they get this lie from the enemy. Eve gets, surely you will not die. You will be like God. Sarah gets, the Lord has kept me from having children. No, the Lord did not keep her from having children. Then they both have this pride or self-reliance. I will have to do this by myself. Eve says, Eve saw the fruit was desirable for gaining wisdom. And Sarah thinks, perhaps I can build a family through her. You know, I'm going to figure this out for myself. They both influence others. Eve influences Adam to eat the fruit too. Sarah influences Abraham. And we, we read here that she only says it one time, but who knows? She could have been a drippy faucet for months. I just don't know. Then what the mistake they make has consequences for so many others. In the case of Eve, there is death. There is exile from paradise. There's labor for women. There's land and childbirth labor, both for thousands of years. For Sarah, there's conflict between her people and Ishmael, who is going to be the son that comes from Hagar, even today, because Ishmael's people, the Arabs and Isaac's, the Jews are still fighting in the Middle East. So this tendency we have to do what we want, what's good in our eyes, leads to this ripple in the pond of consequence that just ripples out forever. Yeah. And I think think we've all seen ourselves doing this, right? Sometimes it's like an out-of-body experience. You're like, I really know that I shouldn't be doing this, but I'm going to do it. And it's like hindsight's 20-20. And Susan, you made this really good um, graphic, The Path. And it mm-hmm. really, really succinctly illustrate, illustrates and visually illustrates how we can get off that path when we see ourselves going down it and take a different path. So if you miss that, it is in our show notes. What episode was that in, Susan? Oh, gosh, we put it in several episodes. Well, go to the show notes and get the path because it is the way that you can visualize yourself getting off this path when you see yourself going down it and trying to take over and control the situation. Only God is in control. He made you a promise. Trust. Don't doubt. I want to talk about this other pattern that's here too, and that is conflicting brothers. We see it so often in the Bible, and a lot of people talk about this father-son relationship, you know, between Abraham and Ishmael and Abraham and Isaac and Isaac and Jacob and Esau. We're going to get to them. But there's also this a, a, a lot of pattern about brothers like Cain and Abel, um, the sons of Adam, and then Jacob and Esau, the sons of Isaac, this conflict between them. And in this case, Ishmael. 
Ishmael and Isaac's people have this conflict. They, you know, they're all from the same father, but one is blessed and the other is not. Now we're going to talk about that with Ishmael because he does receive a blessing. It's just not the blessing. All right, Hagar and Ishmael, let's talk about them. Verse seven, the angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was the spring that is beside the road to Shur. And he said, Hagar, slave of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? Okay, I love that God asks questions. We've seen this pattern too. Like Eve and Adam, where are you? He knew where they are. Cain, Abel, what have you done with your brother? You know, I love that he asks questions. And I think that is such a great lesson to be as a parent is you don't have to say, I know you you did did wrong. (laughs) You can just ask these questions. Another thing I want to point out is that this is the first mentioned. Remember, Genesis is a book of many firsts of the angel of the Lord. And this is actually when it says the angel of the Lord, a visible manifestation of God. So just know that when you're angel of the Lord. Um, Okay, so here's what Sarai says. I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai, she answered. Then the angel of the Lord told her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. The angel added, I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. The angel of the Lord also said to her, you are now pregnant and you will give birth to a son. You shall name him Ishmael for the Lord has heard of your misery. He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And he will live in hostility toward all his brothers. She gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. That is why the well is called Bear Lyroi. It has been there between Kadesh and Barid. So Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram gave the name Ishmael to the son she had born. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore him Ishmael. All right, this could so be a movie because there's just so much more to Hagar than we think. Originally, you know, years ago when I first read the story, I thought, oh, she was a servant, you know, and I had this kind of like you know, just picture of her that may not be true if you picture a servant. So Hagar's name means flight. And so it's no, you know, surprise to us that she takes flight the minute there is dissension. Um, According to the Midrash, now I'm pulling in another reading outside the Bible here because it does tell us a little bit more historical information that possibly could be true about people. But the Midrash is a collection of homiletic teachings on the Torah. And, you know, so many people wrote back then, not all of it made it was made it into the Bible, but these are teachings that many believe are true. But in the Midrash, they say that Hagar was actually one of the daughters of King Pharaoh of Egypt. Now, he could have had 100 daughters for all we know, because they had a harem, obviously. He took (laughs) he took Sarah to be part of that. Yeah, but But still, still, she's a daughter of a king. And she would have been raised not as a servant. Right. She would have probably had servants. You know, was she? given to uh, Sarah as and Abraham as a servant as kind of an act of goodwill between them. This was done up into, you know, the 1800s. Kings and queens gave second and third and fourth and fifth and sixth children into um, other to marry into other, you know, kingdoms as an act of goodwill that would hopefully prevent battles because they had they were intermarried. Um, When she saw the miracle 
which God performed for the sake of Sarah to save her from the hands of the Egyptian king during Abraham's visits there, she said, it is better to be a slave in Sarah's house than a princess of my own. Again, this is a, a, a belief from the Midrash that she went willingly um, to Sarah and Abraham's house to be a servant because she saw this miracle that God had performed to save Sarah from the from being one of Pharaoh's wives and to be sent back to Abraham. Does that make sense? What makes sense that? is that is a that. strong woman that would be able to do that. Yes, yes. So again, we don't know biblically if this is exactly true, but this is what the Midrash says. It gives me a different kind of vision of 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 Hagar that she was just not this subservient woman who was brought up to be poor and in servitude. She she may have been somewhat educated. She was maybe a princess by birth and she chose to go with Abraham and Sarah, seeing that their God had greater power than any God she'd been exposed to in Egypt, which then helps me to understand possibly why God is so sweet with her, because he's not just going to meet her this one time. He is going to meet her again in another chapter two. And And he is kind to her. He sees her heart. He sees her sorrow. And so it may be that she she had some kind of faith and, you know, he saw her as someone who was abused um, in this situation because here's, here's the accumulation of mistakes against her. She's forced to marry sleep, marry slash sleep with Abraham for the express purpose of producing, not because they, you know, (laughs) really were in love. Yeah. Loved her (laughs) or wanted her a part of the family or anything. And then on top of it, um, you know, we know that uh, she she develops this little attitude towards Sarah when she conceives, again, intimating that she may have had some pride or princessy like ways because she's like, which I don't I could see how easy it would be. I got pregnant. It's all about you because you can't get pregnant, Sarah. Here I am, your servant. And I got pregnant. I don't have a fertility problem. It's not Abraham. It's you. So she she does. This, she develops this little attitude. Then Sarah blames Abraham for Hagar's attitude. Well, boo on Sarah, because that was not Abraham's fault, but that's, you know, typical back to the garden thing. They blame everybody else. You know, Adam blames Eve, Eve blames the serpent. You know, now, now Sarah's got this smart Alex servant who's kind of given her a hard time, you know, being, having the upper hand being pregnant. Yeah, but, now, but it, she's mistreating Hagar too. So I don't know about you, but when I read this, my heart goes out to Hagar. I feel for her because she's in this very precarious situation. And if I were her and God told me turn around and go back, I'd be like, <laughs> way. Right, right. Um, Well, it does say when she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. So we don't know, you know, who started mistreating first, really. Wait, did it say that before that? Yeah, but two rights don't make a wrong. No, they don't. That's what I'm saying. These are all the mistakes that came of this. Yes, it's just a mess. And this is what comes out of, right? Like you said, this is what comes 
out of doing it your own way and not God's way. And here's where Abraham kicks in. We've seen this before. He tends to like avoid things. He doesn't, you know, he doesn't want to deal with confrontation because he avoids dealing with it. He just gives Sarah permission to treat her, her cruelly. Oh, your servants, your deal, you know, whatever you think is right. Oh gosh, that's so lame. I mean, you just don't do that. And so Sarah takes that to the next level and mistreats her till Hagar's fear is so great. She risks her life by running away. And she knows that now Here's where our God compassionately intervenes in all of our mistakes. He pursues Hagar with remarkable passion. He goes after her and in a loving way questions her. Then he provides her a promise too, which he didn't have to do. Hagar's people are not going to be his people, but he he appears to her personally, asking her to submit to Sarah. He asks her to be the bigger person, go back and submit. And he promises her that her son will be great also. And then to Hagar's credit, she believes in God. And again, here's where we see this woman who somehow even back in Egypt probably believed enough um, to leave her country and her her position and her place to go with this family who had a greater God. And she names this well. And I love this verse. I have now seen the one who sees me. Beautiful. And that that is something I pray for all of us, that we can see the one who sees us because God sees our heart. We need to see him. Um, and that Hagar obeys and returns to Sarah. In this case, in this scene of this play, we'll call it, I truly believe Hagar is the heroine and she definitely does all the right things and kudos to her. Now, I want to just touch on our Ishmael before he's born. What did God say about him? His name means God hears and he will be a wild donkey of a man. Now, even today, the wild donkey of the deserts is not like I picture a donkey in the U.S. Uh, It is an animal that's known for its great speed, love of solitude and untamable fondness of liberty. It is a noble beast, not the kind of... um, mulish beast we have here. Oh, that's good to know because the picture in my head was like the donkey in Shrek. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) No, no. Uh, So it is a good depiction of the very type of the Bedouin Arabs who still roam today, uh, whose delight is to rove at will over the the desert and who despise the ease and luxury of a settled life. Oh, so it wasn't really a bad thing that they called him a wild not give a man, even though in our our verbal um, use of the words, it Mm -hmm. sounds bad. It's not. Yes. Many, if you research this, many people, you know, we cast it as a bad life, but many see it as a compliment of praise that they are going to be fierce and wild and independent and able to survive. And, you know, um, just kind of the wild, wild west type of, you know, maybe cowboys to us. I don't know. Resourceful. They're resourceful. They will. Right. Right. Uh, He also said his hand will be against every man. The Bedouins can be bound by no treaties, submit to no law and count plunder as a legitimate gain. So just cultural differences in their philosophy of life. 
And then God also said he will live in hostility toward his brothers. That is, he shall maintain his independence and his descendants shall continue exist to exist as a free race in the presence of other Abrahamic nations. The Arabs of today are just as they were described by the spirit of prophecy nearly 4,000 years ago, which is crazy. Well, that is all a very interesting depiction of this very grave mistake that was made (laughs) by Sarai. And we are going to continue that in next episode. You're going to continue to see the ramifications of the mistake that she made. But before we close today, I just want to ask you one more time. Are you going to trust God or are you going to doubt? Because if you can trust God and say, like Hagar said, I have now seen the one who sees me, you'll be much better off in the long run and you won't have to deal with these kinds of repercussions. But tune in because we are going to see that it's going to get very interesting. What's a club without friends? If you're enjoying the Bible Book Club, why don't you share it? And then you can say, welcome Welcome to to the the club. club. New episodes drop every Monday and get all episodes now on Amazon Music. As always, head over to SusanMe.com slash Bible Book Club for show notes from today's episode. Bible Book Club is hosted by Susan Merrill and Heather Rubio, edited by Buck Buchanan, produced by Haley Mawatt.